0: For the past decade or so, innovation hubs have made a splash in the market. From Google and Amazon to Coca-Cola and Kellogg, these hubs are full of designers, researchers, and specialists that are here for one thing and one thing only, to figure out the future of the industry, disrupt, and give their companies the competitive edge. But what about the food service industry? What hubs are looking into the future of restaurants to figure out if drones and robots will be flying around everywhere to drop burritos off on our balconies and front doorsteps in the next five to 10 years? Hi, everyone. I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Zach Mack. And this this is So You Want to Run a Restaurant Powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. Many of these innovation hubs keep much of their research totally private, and that's for obvious reasons, but we can dive into some concepts that some of the independent innovation hubs have helped to develop that are now making waves in the restaurant industry. For example, the Impossible Burger. In April of 2016, CEO Pat Brown decided to take his vegan-friendly burger idea to the next level by visiting the Food Innovation Center at Rutgers University. The center essentially takes a small business and entrepreneur's idea and molds it into a full-fledged go-to-market product. Pat Brown had the idea for the Impossible Burger, but couldn't quite put together the right ingredients in order to make it the mock meat that we all know and love today. That's when he was connected with food scientists at the Innovation Center to adjust the formula just so and develop a marketing strategy.
1: Now, for those of you who may not have had the glory of tasting an Impossible Burger, let me explain what makes it so special. Each patty is created with a compound called heme which essentially is a compound found in every living creature including yourself but what makes the burger so unique is the developers figured out a way to make the same compound through fermentation of genetically engineered yeast so when you bite into an impossible burger and you taste the unmistakable meat flavor it's really just yeast
0: so is it like you're eating yourself
1: <laughs> That's a deep question I don't
0: know. <laughs> I mean when it said when it said that it's essentially found in, in every living creature it makes me wonder I'm like so are we eating ourselves then I don't know anyway <laughs> that's, a, that's a question for another day. Okay.
1: <laughs> a whole different podcast. We could shoot off of that.
0: <laughs> a whole different podcast. That's right. All right. So for the marketing piece of this, the Food Innovation Center idea was to rely on the iconic restaurant scene in New York City that we all know and love and that Zach lives in every day. And in July of 2016, you're not going to believe this. But the experimental burger landed on the menu of Mama Fuku restaurants in Manhattan. And really, it just took off from there.
1: Three months to get on a David Chang menu.
0: That's the power of innovation centers. They move really fast because they're focused on one area and one thing only. And that's all they do. So, Zach, have you had the Impossible Burger?
1: You know, I have. I actually, I really, really like it. My fiance and I. Me too. Oh, they're so good. I mean, like, I like cooking meat and I've cooked it before, but this honestly, even when I'm I'm well aware of the fact that it isn't and I played it myself and I ate it myself. I still am convinced sometimes that it's just it's not and it's not a a fake burger.
0: Oh, I completely agree. And I think it's also interesting that when they started making these burgers, they weren't necessarily marketing them, at least my understanding is that they weren't, to vegans and vegetarians. They were marketing it to the flexitarians. Right. So the people like me who are just trying to cut back on meat consumption but will still eat it occasionally.
1: The big thing for a lot of flexitarians is trying to work out how you can replace things in your diet with stuff that isn't meat, right? Right. But it's harder to do. I mean, we've talked about this before, but having the traditional veggie burger made out of falafel uh, doesn't really hit the, the spot in the same way that these Impossible Burgers do. No, exactly. Um, not to talk them up beyond what they are but they really do like form a perfect replacement in my mind
0: yeah i agree i mean have you had the beyond meat burger
1: yeah and the beyond meat burger is also really good i think if you blind tasted me on both of them i'd still might not be able to tell you exactly which one is which i'm not like an expert but um, they're both really good. I think I remember the Impossible Burger being my my more favorite of the two. I would, yeah, I yeah. think. But I have to have them side by side to like really know that.
0: Oh yeah, me too. And I think it's because the Beyond Meat uses the pea protein, and the Impossible Burger uses soy. And I just think it's because soy is
1: easier to flavor. You know, it, it is like an easier building block to work with, right? It, there's right. nothing until you exactly. put something into it to taste like something it's very important
0: it gives it, it gives you that clear level baseline you know
1: and texture too i have no basis to go on for pea protein so i don't know what it like works like <laughs> as a food item i've never cooked with it <laughs> not that i know of anyway except for
0: pea soup right except
1: for pea <laughs> soup is a very different type of pea protein <laughs> yeah i uh, honestly right. though it's i think with soy it makes sense too and and like you said like going back to this wasn't really even marketed towards people who don't eat meat it's marketed more towards people who realize that their eating of meat is something that's having a bigger impact on the environment and on their health and I think you know, going forward, they're they're definitely not stopping just at burgers. Have you tried the sausages? Oh
0: yes, I have. So the Beyond Meat, you mean the Beyond Meat ones, right? Yeah, yeah, I think they're great. That, I actually prefer the the Beyond Brats or whatever that I, I find at Whole Foods than I do the Beyond Burgers.
1: Yeah, they're really the. That's one of my favorite discoveries of the past year has been the Beyond sausages and like the, the other side products that just yeah they taste so good. Like they they really really do work well for replacing meat in something without taking meat out of the dish.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting because when you think about these innovation centers and these innovation hubs, they're creating things that are going along with these food movements that we see. I don't know if you've seen this, but they've
1: got now um, plant-based fish items and seafood items. I'm very intrigued by this idea. I have not seen these. And now that I have (laughs) awareness of this, I'm going to go to every grocery store. I'm curious and I need to know. I need to go and buy these things and try them myself.
0: I really need to have some plant-based fish fingers at some points—fish and chips that are like totally vegan or something. I, I, I think there will be a world one day where I can find those everywhere.
1: We did uh, the other day. I, uh, I did get down with some really nice uh, pea protein chicken fingers.
0: Oh, that
1: tricked me into to what they were. They tasted great. They tasted like any chicken fingers you'd get out of the box—not like quite like a restaurant yeah. experience—but it tasted really good. If anything, maybe a little better. And uh, I really liked it. So it's funny too, because on the restaurant side of things, Mm -hmm. there's, like you said, there's people who I think are are vegetarian and not going to come in and see the beyond burger and be like, I'm vegetarian. I want that. But when you have the option there and when it's also made with something that's less like a a lot of previous veggie burgers might have had a lot of allergens in them with nuts and things but sure this this has helped a lot i think on the restaurant side people can easily without having to remaster a, a certain preparation get a vegetarian item vegetarian item on a menu mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you've you know opened up a door for a lot more customers
0: yeah yeah do you guys use the impossible meats or any of these alternative meats in in your restaurants Right
1: now, we no. At the moment, are not so far. But as we're about to reopen for the season for one of our restaurants, we're thinking about throwing those on there because they do, they taste great. Yeah, I have a Michelin star chef partner who has a very good veggie burger that he makes, and oh. he, even he says he's intrigued by doing this as the veggie option for the summer. Ah, so,
0: okay then. Fingers
1: crossed, because I would like to be able to treat myself to them whenever I want.
0: Yeah, so. I'm gonna have to try that. I'm gonna have to come visit New York and give that a yeah. give that a try. As we kick off our show and this first season, we wanted to first start by having a conversation about the restaurant industry that we find ourselves in today and where we're headed in the months and years ahead. And I really feel like this conversation will help us set the tone and shape some of our follow-up interviews this season with restaurant owners and operators across North America who are all really going through the same thing, trying to navigate this new world that we find ourselves in today. So we're really excited to have a chat today about a very interesting piece of research that Chicago-based food service industry Innovation hub Relish Works has just published on the future trends of the food service industry. And as we all know, we are really rooted right now in a time where the food service industry is having to really reinvent itself. Restaurants are having to rethink the entire restaurant experience. So, I'm excited that we've got someone who's living it, which is my co-host, Zach, as a restaurant owner and operator in New York City, and someone who's studying it really, really closely. And that is the head of Relish Works, Mandy Tavonen, and her team over at the Innovation Hub. So I think it's going to make this conversation all that more interesting. So with that, Mandy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for
2: joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Mandy, I'm really glad you're with us today. It's actually a perfect, you're the perfect person to start off with. Could you just give us a little background on what Relish is and what aspects of the food service industry that you guys focus on?
2: Absolutely. So, Relish Works is the innovation hub for Gordon Food Service, and we're really focused on the future of the food service industry. What What does that mean from an operator's perspective? If we If we think we're centered around the restaurant operator and everything that spins around them. So, what will the future uh, restaurant look like? Who will be the operator of the future? What technologies will they be using? Mm. What partners might they have? What type of food and culinary experiences are consumers looking for tomorrow? And so we are, we have kind of a group of people who research and study that. We have a group of people who are spinning out and running new ventures that help restaurant operators in different aspects of the future. And then we have a group of people who are really focused on bringing together those partners through um, investments, through an accelerator program and through pilots with our company, Gordon Food Service.
0: Yeah, that's great. I like that you are studying innovation very holistically in that sense. So Relish has recently released this food service industry trends piece that we're really excited to talk about today. Can you tell us more about that research so we can dive into it?
2: Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's always helpful to put trends of a specific industry in the context of more macro trends that are happening. So these, these aren't in isolation. And these trends that we did, we went out and looked for what is happening in the world and the way that people are interacting. What, what are the kind of new things that are happening in society as a whole? Right. Not specific to restaurants, not specific to the food service industry, but what's happening out there. So, and, and really focus on this, this year. Because it's easy to like imagine the way like AI is going to take over our brains and all of that stuff, <laughs> but really, like, what is what's happening this year? Then, <laughs> and and how does that look? And so this this research was really like, what are those macro trends? And then we took it and said, so what would this mean for the food service industry? So these trends cross many; they could be applied to, you know, hand this over to a medical you know, device company, and they could probably imagine what that might mean for them. I think Mm -hmm. that
1: was one of the most interesting things looking through the trends. As someone who had to live through the year operating a business like that, it was a lot to handle. Uh, And the the trends really did touch on a lot of things that predated COVID um, and a lot of the other societal stuff that was happening, um, both within the industry and the stuff that was affecting the industry. I'm really interested in understanding it's clear how some of the larger players are, are making their moves right now but do you feel there's going to be in the next year like the the people who don't have the huge windfalls of cash to fall back on like some other places have how do you think the reaction is going to be towards the post-covid realities or or any of the major changes you talk about like eco-consciousness and some of these trends how do you think it's going to look differently for the smaller operators and the bigger operators? Someone like me with a couple of locations versus these, these companies with, you know, 50 to 100 to 500 locations.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough time, as you know, better than anyone to be an independent operator. And I think we're going to face, I mean, one thing that really, a silver lining out of COVID, I think, is that people rallied around their small neighborhood restaurants and bars. Yeah. And people realize more than ever that these these institutions, these local restaurants are like really part of the fabric of the communities. And so my hope is, is that this idea of local will switch from being about proximate and like near me to truly being Mm -hmm. my local establishment with people who understand my local neighborhood. So I'm just as guilty of it. Down the street, we have a Starbucks on one corner and another coffee shop on the other. And I go to Starbucks often because the app it's like been really easy. (laughs) Um, Truly, it is my local Starbucks, but it's not a local company. And so I like- It is the local um, watering hole though. (laughs) Yeah. So I find myself like feeling more aware of the fact that my job- should actually be to support the map room and get my coffee there than to support my local Starbucks. And so I am I am hoping that some of that consumer kind of re- recognition and realization that it's our job to support the communities that we live in um, and the neighborhoods we live in and that and that restaurants are a very like they are the new, they are the town square and that we, we need to do that. But I do think there are other aspects. So that's kind of like the silver lining, but I do think there are other things that our independents are going to struggle with. One is access to capital and, and then also not just access to it, but an understanding of how to deploy it. It, it takes like, that, that's not why a lot of independent operators got into restaurants, it's not because they're like started out of finance. But you really need, like, a financial advisor to help you how to help understand how to deploy that capital, what to hang on to, what not, what to invest in, what like, and how to use it in a in a smart way, right? So, I I think, you know, beyond that, I mean, there are things like the you mentioned ethical consumerism. We'll find um, guests, patrons, you know um, diners saying like, I'm going to choose this restaurant because the way they practice sustainability. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's going to be a harder, again, a harder scenario for independence to navigate because it doesn't always have to mean more costs, but then you have to know how to manage that. <laughs> And that's just another thing on your plate. And so I think it's, it's like the amount of things to be managing simultaneously feels really difficult as an independent. That's what my, my perception. And I mean, I'd love to hear what you think about that as an independent.
1: Well, that's, I'm really glad you bring that up. That's honestly, even since we opened up, we've been through a lot in, in nine years. We got wiped out in a hurricane when the first five months we were open. Oh, wow. And, like you said, coming out of the the tail the tail end of something like that does require a kind of financial savvy that a lot of people who jump into the restaurant restaurant industry just don't have. Honestly, like you said, it's different to be coming from a team. Like we don't have an in house social media person. I'm the in house social media person. My business partner and I kind of swap off on day to day stuff with our GM uh, when we need to. But it's not. We don't have the the massive inner workings to kind of to plow through a lot of the day-to-day stuff while focusing on everything. I need to get my e-commerce up and running and, and fine tuned so that it's making the most money it possibly can. But I also don't have, you know, I, I, I can't be filling payroll and taking care of like Instagram posts at the same time as I'm, you know, filling things into the website. So I'm, I'm really interested to see, like you said, the, there's so many new realities too in trying to figure out how, this conversation six months ago and our conversation 12 months ago and 18 months ago is so different than what it'll be in the next six to 12 months. And I guess that no one can can claim to know what's going to happen, obviously. But it's just there. there's been so much change in the industry without any kind of idea where we're Driving down the tunnel, and we see a light, but we're not sure if it's a truck coming at us or a end of the end, end, light at the end of the tunnel. Right. So, right. For, for so many people, there may be different things. But
2: right, <laughs> well, yeah. in all of this, I think, what's yeah, what's wild is just that there's there's so much to be managing at the same time, and the skill set needed to manage those things are like deep experts in really nuanced skills. And a restaurant yeah. can't have a digital marketing expert a data expert a like sustainability expert and so it's like really a lot of like expertise driven work that just doesn't fit in then they're also expensive skill sets to have and so then it doesn't fit into the margin of of a restaurant very easily and yet consumers are like pushing their, their demands in their, in their life with like other brands and, you know, Amazon and all that are like creating these new realities for how things happen. And, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it gets put on a, on, a low, on a lower margin business and it's really difficult.
1: It's funny. You see a lot of people come into the industry, a lot of my colleagues that I work alongside who own different businesses, and they either have the savvy on the eco-conscious side of things, or they're really good social media or digital marketing. And you can see that that's their strong point, but there's, there is always that trade-off. You only have so many hours in the day of a very busy and let's be honest, chaotic business. And it can be a lot to try to stay on top of everything, even with technological help and the kind of, the Flattening of the learning curve for certain things as people get better at explaining it to everyone, but you know it's it's hard sitting here and being like, am I ever going to be the kind of e-commerce master that I need to be to push this through to really see this through, right? Or am I going to have to hire someone, which I can't afford to do? Um, but but honestly, I think that's maybe the question coming in the next few years as these businesses become more broadly. Uh, serve they become the service more a broader part of the population. Maybe that's the change in restaurants that we we see in the next few years. Oh
2: yeah. I think I mean I think so just we saw it during COVID. I mean we've we've been seeing it. We've we've seen restaurants kind of taking their winner, their you know, menu winners and turning those into virtual brands. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. so you're not only managing like your physical presence, then you have now you have a virtual brand. Oh, I'm gonna put my a set of ingredients on a pantry website and like start selling like you know kits and you know pantry items or whatever it is and then you've seen you know them spin out these kind of collaborations with other partners whether it's well interesting I I have a bar right basically across the street from me and they've they can't yet open um um, because they don't they don't serve food, so they're not able to open yet. But what they can do is sell to go cocktails. They're selling other people's packaged, like local, you know, cans of local beers. Or um, like I got a craft grapefruit juice there the other day. They have now all this like merch, like sweatshirts and hats and tote bags of the of the local bar's name. I mean, it's an it's a it's very much like our neighborhood bar. Um, it's called the Charleston, and they. But then they have a collaboration with Giant, which is like a really wonderful uh, restaurant here in Chicago. And they had a Giant had a food truck that comes, and so you get your to go cocktail from the Charleston, and you get your food from the the Giant food truck. And like our whole neighborhood's been out for it. Like when that happens, when it appears, like that. That kind of like thinking through and working on those partnerships, I don't think that stuff's going away. And thinking through these multiple revenue streams and having, you're juggling a lot of things and having a lot of balls in the air to kind of like get back to pre-COVID levels.
1: Just to finish up your point, we've worked with a lot of -of out-of-work chefs who were desperate to get back and to do things. And we've done pop-ups that have brought out so much business for us. It's usually the highlight of our month whenever we host an event like that. And it'd be really hard for me in the future to turn away from continuing to do that. As long as people want to show up and help us, it's mutually beneficial in so many ways uh, and the community loves it. So there's really no reason for us to stop doing it just because the, you know, the existence has changed. I think that's going to be one of the many things that, post-COVID life, we, we learned through a hard time that's going to kind of bring us through to a new kind of reality in the industry.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, um, we support a, a company called Virtual Dining Chicago. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's really about connecting chefs who have things to give outside of their restaurant, who have energy to bring culinary experiences to people. And it just, it's been amazing to see. I I hosted a, a birthday and I had a chef from Tao join a birthday celebration. Now everybody got kits at their homes with like the ingredients and wine and everything like that. And then the chef came and walked us through a cooking class. And like those, and I mean, when else could you bring together your group of friends? I mean, I had... Twenty people on this call. I would never have been able to afford to take twenty friends to dinner at Tao. Yeah, but I was able to do this for people in this really cool virtual way. And so, I mean, I don't think those things are going to go away.
1: I honestly, I agree because there's so many times, just personally, having hosted a bunch of things like that through our own business, but having attended much, much more. I feel like that's one of those things. It's like if a friend offers you a birthday dinner, again, that's a lot of you. To, you can't get a resi for 20 people on like a Friday night that most people can show up to. It's going to be expensive. But if you do this sort of event, which is a great extension of brand, it's, a, it's an extension on their dining room, technically without them having to sign a bigger lease, you're getting more heads or more covers. There There is a lot to gain from restaurants doing stuff like that brand-wise. And also people love it. I genuinely, I'm less likely to turn down an invitation to something because I'm like, I can do this from the comfort of my own home with all the stuff brought to me or conveniently I can get what I need. Uh, That just, it's the sort of thing that, that seems like really, really fun that again, another learning experience from a dark time. But yeah, I think it's really, really cool that that's where I, where we're headed. And most of the conversations I've had with people I work with kind of see it the same way. They, they, they want to keep these sort of things going and I think people are happy to keep doing it. I I do too.
2: And I I don't think, I mean, it might not always be virtual, but I'm hoping that what chefs have realized is that they have talents outside of their kitchens that they run and they can still connect in maybe some more kind of like intimate ways with the guests who, who, why they got into the industry in the first place. Right. Like, like, and, and like this, this is far more intimate to have, you know, you know, face-to-face essentially with a group of 20 of your diners when you're walking them through a recipe and you, you see their faces and you're teaching and, you know, I think it's something pretty.
1: That hands-on experience is, it's, it's irreplaceable. And people actually, and we all know this, the millennial crowd loves the experiences, um, as, as one myself, I can tell you it's more, it's more enticing than just showing up to a family-style dinner in a lot of ways. But it is, I think, I think it's really cool. And again, something that I don't think people, people were maybe a little adventurous on it before. So Mandy, how did you and your team come up with these 10 trends? Because they do touch on so much what was even happening before COVID, but is definitely still relatable during and after the pandemic. So what did that process look like?
0: So You Want to Run a Restaurant is powered by Back of House, the leading independent platform for independent restaurant operators to find, filter, and save on the technology they need to succeed. If you haven't checked them out yet, you need to head to backofhouse.io. All of their resources are free, and don't forget to subscribe to the free newsletter while you're there. This is honestly one of the best weekly restaurant industry roundups I've ever seen. Their incredible team of writers cuts through the noise and gives you the headlines that you actually need to see each and every week. It's built for restaurant operators and full of important industry news, expert perspectives, and special offers on cutting edge restaurant technology. Follow back of house on Twitter at BOH underscore news and at We Are Back of House on all of their channels.
2: Yeah, so we we've been talking to restaurant operators to find out, you know, what A, what they're experiencing, but B, what, what they're expecting. And I think, you know, that, and restaurant operators, entrepreneurs, we've been talking to consumers about, you know, we did a big kind of project around what are, how are consumers feeling about dining? We do a lot of kind of secondary research, which is just looking at what's, what's happening out there, what's happening in industries outside of the food service industry that could, we could imagine like trickling down to the food service industry. We look at what's happening in the world and the way people are interacting with things like um, social media. And you know, we we you know, there's a trend in there called Instabuy, and it's really about this space of between digital marketing and purchasing really being squeezed. And when you look at that, you you look on TikTok and you see the way that you can just instantly purchase and something that we talk a lot about the team because here I am in my 40s. But I'm like a huge TikToker. Uh, but I'm a TikTok observer. I know Mandy and, has some great dancing TikTok and, videos out there. They're going viral as we speak. I mean, it is one of my favorite things to do is learn the dances.
1: Um, <laughs> you know, we need you to do a dance later. <laughs>
2: so but I buy, I buy like crazy through TikTok because they offer me these things. <laughs> and I'm really into clean talk. And so like I have all these weird cleaning products. Yeah. And, and I think that, and I find out about new restaurants in Chicago through TikTok. I mean, you see the whole experience, you see 30 seconds of like, you know, this really awesome experience. And so imagine then if it was like, immediately make your reservation here or immediately order to go from here now. And I, that, that will happen. And it's, it's, it's going to happen and it's probably already happening and I'm just behind here. But like, it it's pretty, it's, it, this isn't like, that's why this trends piece isn't about 22, 23. These are things that are happening now. Like mm-hmm. we are seeing this squeeze between digital marketing and purchasing. That space, gone.
0: Did your restaurant already have a big online presence before the pandemic, Zach? And did you find that any of these things you implemented or are you on TikTok?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm personally on TikTok and I'm trying to figure out the the appropriate way to get the Business on TikTok because we're such a beer-focused place. I'm like afraid there's a weird age gap where people are gonna be like, "What is craft beer?" Uh, yeah. And we won't have the same. It's but there is so much more than you can do than just talk about what you sell on TikTok. I'm realizing brands now it's bringing in your staff and things like that. There's a there's a lot of uh, malleability with the social platform there, I, which I really like. It's the fun part of Instagram with I feel like a lot lower stakes. So, but yeah, honestly, I personally during the pandemic there was a. Korean hot dog place that opened up on the Lower East side that i saw on tiktok 30 second video got me to wait an hour and a half in line oh, wow. to try this hot dog um, because it is an effective tool just just to getting in front of eyeballs but then again too i I've, I've also seen these add-ons that people have where you can like clean talk i'm yeah. so glad i'm not the only one
2: oh, great. Yeah. love the
1: cleaning <laughs> hacks but there's so much so much out there so many people i know Make I like specifically screenshot things on my phone when I see something on Instagram and send them to friends, being like, "We got to go here. We got to check this out." So if that tap is available and I can make my reservation right on the spot, I'm going to do it. Uh, And I'm excited to see where that goes. Like the first, my our restaurant's online presence has been as as good as it can be. We actually signed up for e-commerce right before the pandemic hit because beer is a weird industry. We're we're retail as well as the bar, um, which you know allows us to sell a lot of cans to go. We're in a different area, um, and that's super super niche, but. Going forward, it's going to be like, I'm looking now how much I did during the pandemic buying merch and how much we've done since then selling different random things, not beer related, getting your, your hoodie or your tote bag used to seem like something you kind of did when you're on a trip, but now people as part of this, like buying into a brand as a consumer want more stuff like that. So I think even if you're not the kind of place that's comfortable doing, even like a lot of takeout or delivery, there is this sort of immediacy on the apps that's going to come through huge. And I'm excited to see, like, I, honestly, I think we're at the very beginnings of this really taking off. I think people are just becoming, also the age gap, younger people being in ownership positions now who grew up with social media and, and the digital tools uh, becoming much more intrinsic or, or things that people grew up with more. I'm just interested to see what the next couple of months look like.
2: I, I am too. I find it just like the, the ease that we've all just like expected so much convenience Especially during the pandemic, too, like everything at our door, yeah, everything in like two minutes, two hours, whatever it is. Like, I, 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 guess when I when I started in the pandemic, when I started being at home all the time, I thought actually we were gonna have lower expectations because I'm like, oh well, we're all going through this hard time together, you know. But no, things have just. Ramped up, like I want everything now. I want it. Yeah, I, I'm like I'm paying more for shipping for convenience, convenience because I'm like eh, I want it tomorrow. <laughs> like twenty bucks, you yeah. know. Like I'm getting so extreme <laughs> in my demands for convenience and annoyed by having to go out of TikTok when I see a restaurant to Open Table or Resi, resi or the direct website of the restaurant to make a reservation like right. oh I see you I w I wanna I-, I want in. Yeah. Did you find
0: that when you were online and you had that digital presence act that it was new customers or was it mostly the locals that were like we were talking about four locals coming out to support their local establishments or where
1: what's the what's the overlap here between new and COVID times honestly it was a, a deep it was a, a very, very even split of both brand new customers and locals. I think mm-hmm. we were lucky yeah. enough to see a lot of like the the press covered us quite a bit because we were operating mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that people needed at the time so we saw a huge flood of messages i was, I was struggling staying on top of my dms and instagram from people are like hey you know I'm, I'm in the neighborhood nearby but i've never been to you guys like i'm gonna come by and check it out oh. so yeah we definitely did see the the digital interaction made people much more they were exploring more like i, yeah. I even myself i was there were restaurants that i didn't know existed and i was all of a sudden i was like i'm going to get this italian sub from this place that i saw on Instagram today because it is Sunday and I need to get out of my apartment. And whether you're interacting with them before you go or not, like I, I can't tell if everyone who walks in the door uh, is doing so because they saw something posted on my Instagram feed or sure. if their friend told them to do it because they saw it. But I do have a, I, more than a handful of anecdotes of people being like, I saw you post this and I wanted to come through. That's just social media 101. But I'm, I'm really excited because... I have a lot of my staff really want to get involved in doing this stuff with me now, which I think the a lot of the brands that do this in a in a wholesome way kind of uh kind of embrace that. So I'm I'm really interested to see yeah in the next couple of like couple of months what I can get out of this new frontier of I mean, we're already living in a very digital time. Like that that wasn't new. Right. But this I think this interaction level is like a whole new thing. And Mandy's absolutely right. Like I get annoyed when I have to kind of leave where I am on the app to to, to figure out if I can go in and, and eat there or see a menu like I, I want it all kind of tied in so yeah'm I'm, I'm yeah. optimistic I think it's, it makes a lot of things easier.
0: I like what you said about staff and how your staff have become so important because Mandy I, I heard you were on a talk yesterday and this came up as well about your thoughts on management and how management is supporting staff and how we're going to see a new a new level there
2: Yeah I mean I just I think finding ways to to bring your staff into that, your team members into mm-hmm. that, it provides them a bigger a sense of like, this is a career. This isn't, you know, when you have people who want to work in the food service industry, and they've, they've made a career out of it, it it's like, how do you then help them? It's just like career development at any company. Totally. And I think that it's, it's a pretty exciting time. And sadly, I do think that, you know, we've probably permanently lost some staff from the food service industry because they've, you know, become Amazon drivers or whatever else, you know, and but there are ways to bring new new talent into the industry by giving them these other kind of roles and help them see that the restaurant isn't it isn't just in the four walls. Yeah. Like that brand extension and everything around it and everything that it stands for, like they're part of that. And I just, yeah, so I, I think, you know, that's that's one side of it. And then I just think we all as patrons and guests of of restaurants have a big, we have a lot of responsibility to treat mm-hmm. team members at restaurants with respect. And I think that's going to be one of the most critical things coming out of COVID. Because if, if you work in a restaurant, you don't want to go back if people are going to be coughing on you and showing up with fevers and not respecting, like, your space and... Arguing about wearing masks. <laughs> Yeah. Did you find a lot of that, Zach?
1: It was funny. It was. I didn't find. We had there. It was a million different interactions every day. I spent yeah for six months of the pandemic essentially there at least half of my day uh, every day of the week. And there, are, there's you know, ninety nine percent of the time, it's totally fine until that one incident happened. And then all of a sudden, that's all you think about. But yeah, I honestly, I think the kind of outpouring of love and respect we saw from our community, from our customers, it was something I'll never forget. Like I said before, we got wiped out in a hurricane five months in. And that kind of it was such an isolated incident. I mean, so many people were affected by Hurricane Sandy. But we you know, we saw a huge targeted outpouring because our neighborhood had been so specifically affected by the flood. This is such a, a larger experience. And I know this whole we're all in this together thing got kind of railroaded. And I think in some bad ways, but then in a lot of ways, people did take it to heart and they are looking like they're seeing the human, the humanization of the people behind the counter and making your food has kind of expanded a bit. There's still a long way to go. I think a lot of people still forget there are, there are a lot of hardships of the job that they, that they don't see. Mm -hmm. But honestly, yeah, I'm very, very happy that the big thing I'm taking away from this has been by and large that people. Are getting better or becoming more aware of what this industry means. It's it's a human industry and it will always be a human industry. Um, so yeah, couldn't
2: couldn't agree more. We have a lot of work,
1: a lot of work to do, continued work to do. Yeah. Well, you're saying before too, like it is. In terms of how much you can provide your employees if you're a larger company, that, the humanization of it also comes from people wanting to stick around. I've been very fortunate to not have had anyone leave during the pandemic outside of one person who did it out of a location change. It was we're, we're super lucky. But oh. in general, we tend to keep our employees because it's important to think long-term with them, provide them with career development stuff, which you know isn't typical in the restaurant world, unfortunately in a lot of places. uh, We pony up for people to get their beer certifications and their their beverage certifications if they want. And I think that's the sort of thing that keeps people coming back. Most of the hires that we get are kicked back to me from someone who's left us to take a higher position someplace else. And they've got someone who's looking for another job. It's a really good way to foster like an intra-community of people. And and honestly, it comes under respect, which is so quick People forget very quickly in this industry, unfortunately. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy that you see it that way as well, Mandy, because it's it's important.
2: And I think consumers will. I mean, we we see we see it happening. I mean, a lot during the pandemic, restaurants being held, you know, held accountable for the way that they treat their employees. And we saw restaurants in Chicago shut down because it was made public how their their team members felt how they were treated in the kitchen. And so I think that consumers, you know, will increasingly, especially as, of course, like the next generation starts, you know, being able to vote more, with more dollars than they can today, you know, that, that they're going to make choices. And, you know, that's also one of the trends we in, in that ethical consumerism trend. It's just, they're going to make choices about not just about like your food and the quality of your food and how, it, how that food came to be, And, or like how the, how you think about the environment, but also how you treat your employees, the messages you send, what, you know, what's what's happening. I, I I think that will only increase too, which also then makes it more difficult to be an independent operator.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but it's worthwhile. It's an interesting shift and yeah. um, you're right. It's headed in the right direction in, in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. So out of all these trends, and I know we've talked about a lot and a lot of your answers have integrated a lot, which one, did any of them surprise you and which one, which one any or a few maybe that excited you? Mandy, I'll s- start with you. Okay.
2: I mean, I... I'm not surprised, but I'm pretty sad about the k shaped world. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting one, yeah, for real. yeah. I mean, it, it you know this came out in a conversation with with a restaurant, you know, an owner, and he's just thinking about his restaurant. He's being realistic that what happened is a lot of people got a lot richer and a lot of people got a lot less fortunate. And so he needed to think about his concepts differently. And so while it's not, I guess, surprising because we've all been seeing the the disparity happen for, for decades, it feels like it's more evident in part of our daily life. Um, so I would say that was yeah, the the bummer. Yeah. Shocking, surprising,
1: whatever. <laughs> what were we most excited by, I would say.
2: Excited. I mean, I love this idea of personalization and that creating loyalty. So, you know, we we had something in there like loyal service as the trend. And it's really at the end of the day that, you know, we've loyalty programs are not new and we've all been collecting points and rewards. But mm-hmm. what will happen and what is happening in some cases and places, but is that we'll receive a lot more convenience when we're loyal. So people will know us better and it won't rely on the same host being at the stand. When you go, it's going to be embedded in like the data that the restaurant has about who you are, what you want. So we can expect to see kind of, and I think frankly, this probably happens better and, and more often at like uh, fast casual kind of places we see more personalization. We see like the the convenience of being loyal there. But I think this will get embedded into our, you know, on premise, higher end. I I think we have a lot to gain from the data that people are already capturing anyway. So we could get into some philosophical issue about should they or shouldn't they be collecting data, but like there's really no point there. That's happening. And so like there might be a backlash here or there. But at the end of the day, it's going to make our lives so convenient. And that loyalty is going to be generated by our, the brands that we interact with knowing us, anticipating us, and rewarding us for that loyalty.
1: It's true. I mean, Sweetgreen seems to know exactly when $5 off a burrata salad is going to get me to walk in that door because I eat a lot of burrata salads now. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely a very effective marketing tool. But I, I honestly completely agree. I was definitely the most excited about the idea of the data stuff. There's so much issues with with people's relationship with where their data is being stored and, and used against them. And I think a couple of changes in the coming months and years that will fundamentally shift the the overarching use of it. But I honestly, I agree. I, we're, my business model is predicated on uh, a rotating set of products. My draft lines change every time. Uh, ICAG kicks. I've got 400 rotating skews of cans that come through and change that people are mostly intrigued by the new stuff that comes through. So, being able to know when I walked in, you know, three weeks ago, say I'm a customer, when I bought these, these three beers, most people come back and be like, mm, I bought this and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I want something like it. And being able to kind of feed that back to people is mm-hmm. definitely, whether you're a restaurant, bar, anything like that, being able to feed people back their own interests and likes is going to be what keeps them coming back because they're always going to be happy with what they get so yeah that was definitely the most intriguing thing and you can only be so good of a personal salesman and remember exactly what that person bought three weeks ago i need a little bit of help from you know the data miners there to to keep that train rolling but i was i was really excited about that and you know i also most shocked i i I mean i i should have seen it coming i've Dealt with it every day, uh, both on the customer side and with colleagues. But seeing the K-shaped world thing come through was a lot of. It was tough to deal with, but it's the realities of it. We, I haven't allowed myself to become naive about how this this entire year has affected so many people. I mean, I've been living it with my businesses, but I definitely think it's going to factor into how a lot of people I work with, uh, my colleagues, myself included, approach the next six months to a year and then beyond, uh, and how we kind of work with community and just aware of the already growing inequality issues that will definitely get bigger
2: yeah absolutely you know I think and and some some good like the recognition of it some good will come like we will find that probably there will be higher quality affordable food options you know like it doesn't like the recognition that there is a market there like alone means that there will be it means there's an opportunity. And therefore, it means there will be solutions. And so, I mean, like some good will come, but it's just, yeah, the harsh reality of, of, of the situation. You know, back on that personalization point, I was just like, I think about the ways in which we've been trained by things we experience in our lives, like Netflix and Amazon, to like also expect our local establishments again to be doing the same thing. And it's, so you order... I ordered a projector from Amazon. And what did you need a projector for? Do I dare ask? Setting up a little heater in the basement for Lucy. For for your TikTok videos, let's say what it really is. So um, they immediately, like, I didn't order it at that time. They weren't like, you might also want this. But it's like they knew. And then I like go on and it's like, you <laughs> might be looking for the, the like bracket that holds it to the ceiling. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I am actually. And then it was available the same day. You know, it's like they move that stuff, they predict and they move that stuff close to you and like get at you to then just not run to your local Best Buy and grab it, but actually just get it through them because it's coming the same day and they know you're going to want it that day. They got some serious
0: algorithms.
2: They know what to do. (laughs) They do. And I think that about, about like restaurants yesterday, I picked my daughter up from swimming and she said, I want tacos. Well, we weren't going to have tacos for dinner. And I, so I ordered it from like this little place here and what they, if they knew me, What they could have said is, you love margaritas and we're going to sell you a to-go one. Now they didn't, but I would have 100% if they would have said, suggested it to me, if they would have like, I log into the account and they would see that my history of to-go includes margaritas and been able to like recommend that 100%. I would have gotten some guacamole and chips and a margarita because why not? They're offering it. Soon.
0: I really feel like you're giving Zach a lot of ideas for Taco Vista and the next
2: direction it can go in.
1: <laughs> you really, I was going to say, you're, you're dealing with a guy who sells a lot of margaritas. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I hope if you're ever in New York, I've got many with your name oh, on them. So thank
2: you. I'll be there. Thank you.
0: So last question here for both of you. What does the restaurant look like and the restaurant experience look like one or two years from now?
1: Zach, you go. Oh, man. I, I honestly, I literally lie awake at night thinking about this uh, this question. It's It's been a long year of that. Fortunately, though some of the negative thoughts I had early on have been replaced by mostly positive ones. There's a lot of, I think a lot of really hard things to come. I think people are really quick to push what's happened in the last 12 months behind them, when the reality is that we have a long way to go. And I think the painful the, some of the most painful parts of what has had to happen over the past years are still ahead of us, and I think a lot of I think a lot of the the reeducation is already in the process of happening, and it's going to make certain things that need to change a little better. But it doesn't. I, I think the the real changes are going to come in ways that I don't think we're ready to accept quite yet. A lot of the the employment issues that we have been struggling with as an industry for a long time have really the, that's come to bear in in a big way lately. And we haven't really addressed that uh, meaningfully quite yet. I think you kind of see that now in the scramble for rehiring. Um, but I honestly think too, there is a lot of gaps that were filled in with very convenient uses of tech, very innovative. I mean, I'm speaking, speaking to the experts here, but the innovative ways that restaurants have been able to kind of work over the last year aren't going to go away just because things are quote unquote going back to normal. The uh, the adage I learned after Sandy was after there's a fire or a flood, you don't put things back where they were. You put them where they always should have been. So I think a lot of these restaurants reopening for the first time or some coming back to full service for the first time in about a year are are going to be slowly testing things out. And I think this looks like the, the trends that we look at here, the idea that there's e-commerce coming down the line and InstaBuy and things like... Conscious consumerism is a very heightened level of that uh, coming through in the next few years is all going to factor into it. How long it takes us to actually get back to what a new normal is, there might not be a definite answer to that question. And I don't think we should be trying to find that. I think what we should do is be trying to take the best out of what happened in the last six months or the last 12 months and turn it into a better outlook going forward.
2: I totally agree. I keep talking to my husband about this and saying, I can't decide if I'm more afraid that things will never go back to normal or that they will go back to normal. Like what, whatever that was or is. And it scares me because Americans have really short memories. We, we I think we're going to forget. And that scares me a little bit. I think, uh, so I think that, I mean, you see it, you see people crowding bars again and you see, you see it happening and that's all good. We want people in, in restaurants and in bars. I just hope that the behavior is one of like an acknowledgement that this actually happened to us all, like just a, a moment to recognize that this, this did just happen and is happening. And I think so, but I mean, at the end of the day, what, when I think about the future, one is I do think we have short memories and that we're going to get, it's going to feel like the old normal in some ways pretty quickly. And well, as vaccines become more, and I think they are just like, you know, available to people. I do think this idea of the way technology, I mean, people who had never used online ordering, you know, third party platforms and all these things had to during the pandemic. So we have restaurant owners who are now more tech savvy than they ever have. And now it's a de- just a decision of what will my tech stack look like what will my the, the, what are the pieces of tech that i will string together to create the kind of experience that i want to create both on premise and off and there are so many solutions available to people but it is this navigating that will be so critical and so i just think i think all of the tech to make things more convenient to make things better quality to make more things, more experiential. We always think we have to be on premise for things to be an experience. And I just don't think that's true. So, you know, what are those things that we're going to do to really, what, what are the solutions as an operator? This is what I would be asking myself that I'm going to string together to make sure that I'm creating the broad experience that I want for my brand.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think digital the digitization of the restaurant movement is not going anywhere. And I think that, again, it's always, I want what I want and I want it now and I want it faster and cheaper and blah, blah, blah. So I think I agree with both of you guys. I think that um, good perspectives. Okay. I know I said that was my last question, but I have one more for you. What are you most looking forward to over the next 12 months?
2: I mean, I'm looking forward to eating out more. I'm looking forward to you know, being with going back to some of the places that I haven't been to physically um, since February, you know, of, of 2020. So I think I'm just really looking forward to trying, trying new foods. I bet, you know, there will be new restaurant openings. I'm excited for that. I think it's always good to push independents push the industry forward. Um, they come up with the innovative concepts The independents do they're pushing And so I'm just excited to see kind of those new, the new entrants in the market and see what that does to the industry. How about you, Zach?
1: I, I completely agree. And it's actually been one of the most fun things about this is stepping out of my comfort zone a bit. I have my regular places that I will always frequent and I will never stop visiting, but it's been a lot of fun to broaden my horizons a bit. And I feel like any human interaction I get now takes on a new level of meaning it's, we just, we all were so separated for so long and it just, it feels good knowing that in the next 12 months we'll, you know, be inching towards more and more of, I'm a social person. I opened a bar for, bar and restaurant for a reason. I like being around people and I'm just really excited to being able to to go out, look forward to those dinner plans with friends to, to you know, try a new place, but also to go back to someplace I really love and just, you know. We live and even when I'm outside of New York, when I travel, being able to get on the road again and see what makes, I, I think that cities really show, put their best foot forward in some of their, their most beloved local restaurants. So I'm really looking forward to getting on the road again and being able to eat in a city that isn't where I live. So, uh, and, and just filling my life with faces that I love over good food and good drinks. So I think it sounds about what most people would say, but I think- Everyone says that for a reason, right?
0: I mean that was that's my answer. My answer is I can't wait to go and like stand and go sit at like the countertop of the bar or restaurant and meet new people and chat with people. Some of I've had some of the most interesting conversations just talking to the people that are sitting next to me and seeing what comes from that. And then I agree with you too, Zach, the foodie tours that you go on from all, you know, when you're traveling around and you say, oh my gosh, I need to try this. I need to try this. And the the culinary experience that extends from your own backyard. I'm looking forward to that too. And I know we're going to get there. So
2: yeah, and I do have to say I can't wait to uh, perform my new TikTok dances on a dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! Yes,
0: well, we're excited wanna, for that too. We want to see the TikTok videos. Make sure you tag Back of House underscore podcast in any of your or B O H underscore podcast. Sorry, in any of your TikTok videos, so we can then see them as well. <laughs> no, but, just, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, well, this was awesome. Thank you so much, Mandy. Thanks, Zach, for peppering and all of your thoughts too today. Thanks for being here, Mandy.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, Mandy, that was great. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you.
0: Want to hear more listeners? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, food service industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, like how to digitize your space, how to work with food influencers, the latest on restaurant relief, and more interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, Definitely remember to sign up for their free weekly newsletter, eat.news. Back of House has a team of food service industry writers and journalists who cut through the noise and give you the headlines that you really need to see each week. This is honestly one of the best weekly food service-focused newsletters I've ever read or seen, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore podcast and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms.